And we want them to see that their behavior is not their identity. We want them to know that we see that too and that we have ways to help them and that we want to help them. We want them part of our team so that they can come into exploring sensory strategies with an open mind. And most importantly, we want them to understand how their brain works and to have the language to communicate this so that they can self-advocate whenever they need to when we won't be there to do that for them. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Today's episode is one where I'm going to share with you an example of a foundational lesson or conversation or discussion that might really be the missing piece for some of you working through cycles of dysregulation and meltdowns and emotional regulation with your kids. So I've been helping a lot of my one-on-one clients lately have this conversation and it keeps coming up as the missing piece. So I thought that other people might need to hear it or benefit from hearing it as well. So really it's a conversation about how our brain and body are connected and how it communicates with the nervous system. So Let me back up a little bit and share exactly how I got to this point or why it became apparent that this was the missing piece for some of these families. So in my one-on-one calls, I support parents who are looking for new ways to, not new ways or maybe just um, better ways or different ways to handle meltdowns or repeated cycles of dysregulating behavior. So something that their kid keeps doing, the kid keeps like pulling their sibling's hair, you know, we keep having issues in the morning. And yes, we spend a lot of time talking about strategies, like actual hacks and tips and tricks and ways to regulate their child at different times of the day. So that is a huge part of our work. Um, and like different ways to adjust the environment, all of the ways to try to elicit more just overall regulation, right? But a lot of the times there's kind of like a block where Either those things aren't working or they can't get their child to try some of the strategies or there's just something where these gold standard strategies that I still stand by just aren't really working or haven't had the best opportunity to to work in their child's favor for regulation. So usually after some digging and figuring out what's going on, a big thing that comes up that we come to the realization of is that there's some either misunderstanding or maybe not enough understanding at all on the child's part of how their brain works and why they're having a hard time. And let's talk about that, right? They're having a hard time. That is the root of most, if not all of our kids' behaviors. They're having a hard time. Our kids' behavior is not inherently bad, even though even though it can really, really feel like they're saying or doing things intentionally to push our buttons, to ruin our days, I promise you it's not the case. 
there is something going on for them that's hard and they're lacking a specific skill in that moment to be able to act in a developmentally appropriate way because that's also a huge piece, right? A two-year-old crying and whining about wanting a cookie is pretty developmentally appropriate. So that's also a huge part of my job is making sure parents have realistic expectations. Like I don't really have many tips or tricks to get your two-year-old to stop whining because that's the way that two-year-olds express things that they need and want at that time, right? Um, Just like I am five feet tall, I can never expect myself to be able to make a slam dunk in a like regular NBA height hoop. Like that's never going to happen. You would have to decrease the hoop or give me one of those really bouncy (laughs) trampolines. Same thing. We can't expect certain things of some kids at their developmental age. So all of that is part of the part of the conversation and my assessment of where the family is. And then from there, a lot of the conversation has led us to this this idea or this notion that I think your child might not totally understand why they're having a hard time. And so when they don't understand why they're having a hard time, then they might think they're a bad kid or they might not really buy into some of the strategies that we're trying to offer them. So then we decide it's time to have the talk with your kid. Sometimes it's the sensory cup talk, which I've done an episode about. I will put the link to that in the show notes. Sometimes it's just a general neurodiversity talk. You have a different brain, period. And you can leave it as simple as that. We all have different brains. We all learn differently, communicate differently, play differently. You can leave it as simple as that, especially for for young kids. But lately, I've been kind of blending the two of those talks together and diving deeper and helping parents have this nervous system slash dysregulation talk, which again is kind of like blending the sensory cup talk and the neurodiversity talk. Again, I'll put notes to both of those in the show notes in case you want to check out those other, uh, the sensory cup talk and the neurodiversity talk. But before I share my example of this conversation, I have a few points for you to consider and keep in mind. So first, when to have this conversation, pick a time of day when you know your child is more willing to take in this information and hopefully actually participate in parts of the conversation, which you'll you'll hear later so that they're more engaged. So I know for my daughter, the best time to talk to her is usually like right before bed or during bath time. I know for sure never on the car ride home from school or from other some like other like birthday party or, or like overstimulating event, right? You know your kid's time and place to talk about it. The second point is you know your child best and how they take in this information. You know how they communicate best. You know how they learn best. Maybe they're really into visuals, so you're going to have a bunch of pictures printed out. Maybe they like actual like 3D models of some of the like anatomy and the brain that we're going to talk about. Maybe you have a kid who gets uncomfortable with these kinds of talks, and so you need to strategically think about how you will split up this conversation into multiple chunks, um, dropping like little seeds here and there. And I'm going to give you um, within the my example conversation later, I'm going to give you like exact times where it would be a good time to kind of like break the conversation. Uh, the third thing to keep in mind is I had this conversation like the very first time I started talking about this with my daughter, she was about four and a half. And that was about 
the youngest, I would say, um, to start this conversation. You can definitely and still should listen to this conversation and see if there's parts of it you can pick out that you know you can uh, simplify for your child or just stick to the more concrete things like talking about their experiences with sensory and how it makes their brain uncomfortable and do certain behaviors. My point is, have these conversations with your kids. Um, It's going to fill in a lot of gaps. And I will say the older they get, this conversation can get deeper and deeper. And that leads into my next point, which is that this conversation is not like a check off the list, done, did it, never have to do it again. It's a conversation that needs to be ongoing. And the language and the concepts really should be called out and applied as often as you can. And not just to your child. Model what that sounds like and what that looks like for your brain and your your partner's brain and siblings. And if you're watching a movie and you see something happen, you can call that out. You want it to be really normalized and just part of everyday language because that's when you're going to notice it really helping a lot. And then the last thing I'll say is this is a general idea or flow of the conversation that I would suggest. You're going to want to change wording and examples as it fits best for your child. I am using a version of this talk that's mostly centered around fight or flight behaviors, like ones that you'd see when your child is, you know, hitting, kicking, screaming, um, having a really big meltdown or big emotional reaction. Um, You can like change this conversation up and put more examples of maybe sensory seeking behavior um, or other things that are coming up that are still very much related to the nervous system and dysregulation, which is directly linked to the behavior that we're seeing. Okay, so with all that in mind, I'm going to share with you an example of how I explain the nervous system and the body-brain connection to kids. So I'm going to have some of my like really cool teacher voice on to get kids um, like engaged. So my voice is going to change into like a captivating voice as best as I can. And then I'm going to try to pull off to the side to, to insert my little um, narratives to, to give you like extra little tidbits within it. Okay. So, um, all right. So I would start out by saying like this, Hey, guess what? I learned some pretty cool things about our brains and it's actually really, really fascinating. Can I tell you about it? Then I would wait for them, you know, to look or say, yeah, like, sounds good. And then I would stop and say, wait, 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 before I tell you, I I just want to know, what do you already know about the brain? And you might pause there and see if they answer. And if they don't answer, you could fill it in and say, well, do you, do you even know where your brain is? Where in your body is it? Maybe they point to their head. Maybe they point to your head. And then you could ask, do you know what it looks like? Have you ever seen a brain before? And this is where you might pull up a picture of a brain on your phone or you have one printed out or, you know, they're just like touching the part on your head or their head and you can explain what it looks like. And then you would say, yeah, that's right. That's where your brain is. Or this is what the brain looks like. Now, do you know why we all have brains? Like, what is it that the brain does exactly? Again, leaving space for them to respond, or maybe they say, I don't know, maybe there's, this is still too early in the conversation and they're not really joining in, but you could still ask, asking questions to invite them to the conversation. So what does the brain do? And then see what they answer. And then you would say, 
our brains help us think about things and it helps us learn new things. It helps us talk. It helps us remember things and it helps us know and memorize things like our favorite songs, like that song that you sing over and over again and you might, you know, sing a part of their chorus. Again, making it very relevant to them and getting them wanting to participate and engage. Then I would say, did you know that our brain also helps our body move? It's true. It really is true. Like see, you know, see if they're like, what? No way. Um, And then you say, every time your body moves and does something, it's really your brain pushing all these messages and sending a message down to your body to tell it how to move. And then, you know, still checking in, seeing if their eyes are looking or if they're like really interested. And then you keep going and you say, okay, so you know your brain and you're tapping your head where the brain is, your brain and the rest of your body, like your arms, your fingers, your toes, your nose, your tongue, they're all connected to your brain by these things called nerves. And it's basically like a bunch of wires that run throughout your body and it's how our body and brain send messages to each other. So this is where you would maybe show a visual again. Maybe there's a visual of um, the anatomy of the nervous system and show them how the wires go from the brain down the brainstem, the spinal cord, all through parts of the body. And then so you'd say, watch, check this out. And you would say, if I told you right now, give me a high five, how would you do that? Or give me a high five. You're just giving them an uh, an instruction, right? And then I assume they would give you a high five or you could do any other action like you know if I told you to pick up that red pencil right now how would you do that and they would do it right just give them a very simple action to do right then and there so then I assume they do the action and then you go whoa 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. how how did you do that so you do it in a way that like you know hopefully would elicit a laugh or they're like I don't know I just I, I did it I just it came now I did it right and then You say, yeah, your brain and your body communicated by using those wires and it made it happen. First, you heard my voice tell you something. Your ears, and then you would like touch their ears or gesture to their ears. Your ears heard my instructions from my voice. And then your ears took that sound and sent that message and delivered it up into your brain and you're pointing up to your head again. It, it, it did that through those wires that I told you about. And then your brain listened to the message and it said, hey, we, we got to tell the arm and the hand to stretch out and give mom a nice high five. Oh, but not too hard or you're going to hurt mom. Or, you know, you would insert whatever action that they did. Then the brain took that message and sent it out to the muscles of your arm and hand and it gave me a high five. Did you know that that's how it works? Isn't that so cool? But it really feels, so I would like let them pause and say, yeah, that's so cool. Really? Or, you know, go with the flow of of what what they're giving you, right? But then you would say, it feels like it would take so long to send all those messages, but it actually happens so fast. Let's try it again. So then you'd give them another example, right? Like, so like if I told you to put your finger on your knee, how would you do that? Like just, again, another example of how they would take an instruction and make a motor response. If you feel like one, that one example is enough, then move on. Also, this is a good place to end the conversation if you're losing your child's interest. Um, And you can just pick it back up here next time. So 
um, having these conversations in little increments can be better for some kids. So if this is the time where they're like, okay, I, I get it, and they're like distracted or not really into it, I would kind of take that cue and, and move on. So you've you've sort of had, you've set the stage a little bit that the brain and sends messages to the body, period. Okay. Um, but if you're continuing with the conversation or you pick this up next time, here's where you would go next. You would say, okay, so so we remember when I told you that the brain helps you move your body um, when you like tell it to, when you want to do something, you send that message to your brain, then your brain sends the message to your body. I'm going to share, some, share something with you that's even cooler than that. Are you ready? And you wait for them to, you know, gesture or facial expression that they're ready. Then I would say, your brain can sometimes make your body do things automatically without you even knowing or thinking about it. Did you know that? And then you might even say, do you know what the word automatically means, right? Making sure that they understand all of these words. Okay, then I would say, here's an example. Right now, you're right next to me and I can see you blinking and I can see you breathing. Now, are you blinking because I'm telling you to blink over and over again, like blink, 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 or breathe, breathe, breathe. No way. That would be so annoying to have to keep reminding our brain to do that, right? Could you imagine? And hopefully at this point, you know, maybe your kid is laughing or like, you know, giving you some sort of buy-in that they're into the conversation still. So those things are things that our brain does automatically because if we didn't blink and if we didn't breathe, our body wouldn't be safe and healthy. And one of the most important jobs of our brains is to do that, is to make sure that our body is safe and healthy. So a lot of the time, the brain is sending messages to our body to make it do things automatically. And this is, it happens inside of our body and it makes our body move a certain way, but our brain and body are communicating with each other without us even knowing. So here's another example. Are you ready? Again, making sure they're listening. Okay, so let's pretend like right now I gave you this like nice hot, piping hot bowl of soup, or you could say, or like a cup of hot chocolate, something that they're gonna resonate with. And then when you touched it, you noticed it was still too hot to grab. So you you let go of your hand. You go, ah, it's hot. And you pull your hand back super fast. If you had to tell your brain to say, hey, brain, this is hot. I'm going to let go now. And it took that long and slow for you to let go of the bowl or the cup. What do you think is going to happen to your hand or your fingers? And hopefully they would say, you know, that would hurt. You would say, yeah, if it took too long for your hand to let go, it might burn your finger and that wouldn't be safe. So instead, that feeling of heat on your skin sent an instant alert message to your brain and your brain said, ah, danger, danger, move that hand out of the way as soon as possible. And it made you pull your hand away super quick. Like you didn't even have to think about it. The brain did that to protect you. If they like that example or they're into it, you give them more examples of like seeing a spider or something else that would elicit like a true, quick, automatic fight or flight response, right? Something that they could not control, like like having to like uh, run away from a spider or scream really hard if something, uh, you know, if, if a bear came out of nowhere. Just something to get them to to resonate with this conversation of the idea that uh, your brain does things automatically to protect you. 
So your brain does things automatically to keep your body safe and healthy from things that it thinks are dangerous. Now, here's the kind of tricky part where you really need to pay attention because this is going to help you really understand so much about your brain. Are you ready? And then again, make sure they're, they're ready. Sometimes your brain takes those signals from the body, like I said, like words that you hear people say or feelings from the environment or things that you see and it takes those signals and sends it to the brain and your brain sometimes thinks it's a danger signal when really it's actually not dangerous. But then what happens is then the brain sends out one of those automatic messages to the body to try to protect you. And that's when you start doing things like, and then that's when you would, the parent or whoever's having this conversation, would insert some very concrete uh, behaviors that your child would resonate with that they know of, right? So this is where you insert the examples like when, you know, when your sister gets in your in your space and she gets too close and you push her. Or when someone next to you is being too loud and you scream at them. Or when the sock on your foot doesn't feel good and you throw it off and, and kick and scream and cry and hit the floor because it doesn't feel good. Or when we're washing your hair and the feeling of tipping your head back doesn't feel good. Like giving them very specific examples and the behavior that happens, right? So, so we give that example and we say, so we know that this is how our brains work. It sends messages and it receives messages from the body, but all of our brains send and receive messages in different ways. So your brain notices those things like socks on your feet not feeling good or the sounds and touch to your skin maybe feeling a little bit more uncomfortable than my brain does. So that's why it can be really hard for you at bath time or, you know, on the playground. Again, very relevant examples. And then I would say, and even when you and I know that clothes are safe or your example, even though you and I know that bath time is safe or, you know, whatever the example is, it still, it still is not feeling good to your body and brain. And then your brain makes you do things like throw the clothes and yell at mommy. I know you don't mean to do that and I want to help you send a message back to your brain to let it know that your body's safe so it doesn't make you do those things anymore. And I would pause there. This is where you're like inviting them to learn more. Like, does that sound good to you? This would also be a good place to stop the conversation again if you have a kid who needs it broken up into chunks, right? But if you're continuing the conversation, right, there's some kids who will sit through this whole thing. They're very captivated. They're into it. I could probably have this conversation from start to finish with Liliana because she loves talking about this stuff. So we're continuing on the conversation, whether on another day or in the same time. And we'd say, okay, so wait, let me go back and remind myself. So so we know that your brain and body are connected by by what? And then hopefully they're like by wires, right? Yes. And you can send messages back and forth from your brain and body. So that you can do things all day and stay safe, right? Okay. And see your, your kids saying like, okay, yes. And we also know that sometimes your brain might not totally understand that your body is actually safe. And it might do things like yell or throw or hit to keep you safe when it doesn't need to do that, right? So again, we're like summarizing it for them and saying, are you with us? Hmm. So how can we get the brain 
to stop those things that it's doing and tell our brain, no brain, I'm already safe. These socks feel uncomfortable, but I can move around or take them off calmly. I am not in danger. How can we get that message to our brain? Hmm. I don't know. And you kind of sit and wait and see if your child can offer ideas. Again, we want them to engage with us and be part of the conversation. They might say something like, well, I could just tell my brain those words. Yeah, you could say those words, right? And as parents, I would say, yeah, this is actually a very good, healthy coping mechanism, self-talk to tell your brain, just to remind yourself that you're safe. But we know that a lot of the time in the moment, they can't even access those words. We want to give them other options. So we might say, yes, you could tell your brain, hey, brain, don't worry, I'm safe. Nothing's going to happen to me. But sometimes the brain isn't going to listen to your words and it only will listen to things that your body feels and does. So when your heart beats like really, really fast, like you know when you're scared and you could feel your heartbeat pounding so fast and maybe sometimes you can't catch your breath because you're scared or worried or maybe when you're so super hot or you have that feeling in your tummy, you're going to kind of call out some of the physiological signs that your child might feel, right? Then you say, those kinds of feelings in your body is sometimes what tells your brain that you're in danger. So we have a really cool magic way to communicate with our brain without even using words. So whenever we take slow, deep breaths, just like that, or when we give ourselves a tight hug or we squeeze our hands together, It starts to make your heartbeat slower. It starts to make your breath slower. And those feelings and those things send messages to your brain that say, hey, actually, our body feels pretty good and safe and calm. So maybe we don't need to send that message to the body to run and scream and kick and hurt someone. So now I want to work with you together so that we can maybe find some things and and make a list of things that feel good to your body that make your body feel safe and calm so that the we can remember to do those to to communicate with the brain when it needs it most what do you think and this is sort of the end of the conversation but the invitation for them to come with you on this exploration journey of figuring out the best sensory regulation strategies for them because this is what's now you guys are both on the same page here we understand that there is something dysregulating to your child's nervous system and we have some strategies but we need your kids buy-in so that's the end of like this this big concept and this big lesson i hope that it's helpful Um, And your conversation may not sound the exact same, but again, here's the main takeaway points that you want to make sure you convey to your child in in whichever way, whichever language uh, that you think would resonate with your child. You want to convey that your brain and body are connected by wires and it's called nerves and they communicate all day long to help you do things at school and at home and to keep you safe. We also want to convey that all brains are wired differently, which is what makes people feel differently and act differently and learn differently. And sometimes each person's brain labels things differently, like what's important to maybe run away from or protect them from. And we want to reiterate that the brain's main job is to keep our bodies safe and healthy, and it will control parts of your body to make sure that that happens. Um, And that's a good thing, but sometimes it 
it does this at the wrong time and in the wrong ways. And it makes our body actually be even more unsafe. Like when we hit other people or we use unkind words or we are hitting or hurting our own bodies. And then the last thing is we want to make sure that they know that we can take control of our body by communicating with our brain and sending messages that our body is safe and calm by doing things like breathing, heavy work, deep pressure, squeezes, all of that. So remember that the point of this conversation is really to help your child understand and know inherently that they are not the definition, like they they are not their behaviors. They aren't a bad kid, that their nervous system just needs help with the communication and the perception of some parts of their day. And we want them to see that their behavior is not their identity. We want them to know that we see that too and that we have ways to help them and that we want to help them. We want them part of our team so that they can come into exploring sensory strategies with an open mind. And most importantly, we want them to understand how their brain works and to have the language to communicate this so that they can self-advocate whenever they need to when we won't be there to do that for them. So now, if you're hearing this and you're like, wow, that information was amazing, I didn't know that, or this was such a great way of explaining it, I want to know more, or... Maybe you're like, okay, but like what's going to happen after that conversation? How do I take it to the next level and explore sensory strategies with them? I got you. I am so excited to finally announce that for the first time ever, I'm hosting a two-week live online program called the Sensory Detectives Bootcamp, where I'm going to train you through live trainings on everything you need to know about understanding dysregulation patterns and how to set up more regulation patterns for your child using sensory strategies. I'm going to do live trainings on the vestibular system, the tactile system, the proprioception system, how to actually use these strategies at home or in the classroom or in the clinic. So this training and this boot camp is going to be offered for everybody who works with or supports a child with a dysregulated nervous system. So you're going to learn how to recognize dysregulation in your child beyond some of the obvious signs, of course. You're going to learn how the nervous system works, which is probably also going to help you understand some of your own moods and your own behaviors. We can all benefit from that. You're also going to learn how to properly identify your child's regulation and dysregulation cycles and patterns. I'm going to give you all the need to knows about the vestibular, tactile, and proprioception systems and give you lots of live demonstrations of calming activities and strategies to try it with your child. And of course, more examples, just like today, of how to talk to your child about this stuff so that they can be on board and part of the team. So for two weeks, you'll get five live coaching calls with live demonstrations of the sensory strategies and access to a private community where we'll all be in there sharing things that work, didn't work, supporting each other, holding each other accountable, all of it. And at the end of the three weeks, you're going to walk away with a toolbox full of sensory regulation strategies that are going to actually work for your child's particular nervous system and the knowledge to adapt and modify it as their needs fluctuate and their interests fluctuate, you know, because one thing that you try today, they might be bored of tomorrow. Honestly, I think you're going to also walk away from it with a whole new understanding of regulation in general, including how to notice your own dysregulation patterns and how to get in front of it. 
So if you want to grab a spot to the boot camp, it starts on Friday, May 12th, our first call. So head to theotbutterfly.com slash bootcamp or just scroll down below the show. There will be a link somewhere on this page below the show notes and you can sign up for that. Hope to see you all there and I hope that this episode was helpful for you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.